0: Everybody's gonna wanna be better. I think we all wanna be better, but that second part is difficult, getting people to be willing to change. And I think what allows us to not just be willing, but enthusiastic about change is to ask ourselves those four questions.
1: Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show. Today is the first episode of season nine, if you can believe that, season number nine for leadership without losing your soul. And have a special guest uh, for you today on a topic that reading this book really hit home for me, that I've still got work to do in this arena. And so I think you're gonna really enjoy hearing from our guest today. Uh, His name is Sean Glaze, and what some things you need to know about Sean. So Sean transforms teams by building a winning culture. You want a positive, profitable team culture, Sean's your guy. And Sean's background, he's been a basketball coach. He's done some some pretty fun things and just some nice tidbits about Sean's background with his culture-building techniques and coaching a team that finished 12-0 undefeated after losing their region player of the year to a knee injury only a week before the season began, taking uh, other teams that you know have only won three games in two years to be massively successful, it's the same coaching techniques that work with kids playing basketball happen to work with us too. Being coachable is what we're talking about today, and Sean knows a thing or two about coaching and being coachable. And so, the title of his book is Staying Coachable, a story with four questions to help you thrive and change, keep climbing, and enjoy relentless improvement. So we're gonna get into what it means to stay coachable as a leader today. Sean, thank you for being with us to kick off season nine. So appreciate you being here.
0: David, I did not know this was our first episode of season nine. I am honored to kick off your ninth season of what have been just tremendous podcasts with all kinds of information and wanna do what I can to contribute some valuable nuggets to your audience.
1: And I appreciate that, Sean. And before we go any farther, we have got to introduce. We have a bonus guest with us today. There, I know you're in uh, Georgia, a little north of Atlanta today. Who's our Who's our friend on? If there, anybody can listen in and hear.
0: Yeah, this is uh, this is Franklin who uh, normally my wife is home while I'm doing a lot of the podcast and stuff, but we had a little mix up with our schedules today. So you may hear some heavy breathing. I promise it's not mine. It's going to be him who you'll see me reaching down to pet occasionally.
1: All right. We'll get that little jingle in there too. So, all right. For all of our listeners who are dog people, you've got a, a special friend with you today. All right. So welcome Franklin. We're glad you're here too. All right, Sean, before we dive into staying coachable in the book, I want you to take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader.
0: Wow. Uh, That is a, a journey that I'm normally very happy to take simply because the reason that you and I do what we do is hopefully we're helping to build leaders that can learn from our mistakes And uh, I think back to I taught high school literature for two decades and obviously was coaching basketball at the same time. And uh, and I cannot imagine what a bad teacher and coach I was the first few years. And I think it's in those learning experiences that we provide for our audiences and the organization we work with the content that helps them to be better and a whole lot shorter time period than, uh, than what we had to struggle through. And so uh, one of the the key stories that I'll tell in in some of the keynotes that I'll share is about that very first playoff experience that I had with the very first team that I'd taken over as head coach. And we had uh, gone a total of four and 21 and we go into that playoff game and we came out uh, with a loss. And, uh, and I remember it was at that moment when we're standing in the locker room and i give that kind of obligatory speech to the kids about we're going to be better next year we're going to continue to grow and i'm really proud of what you've done etc 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 that i looked in the mirror and realized sorry we're scratching uh, that I looked in the mirror and realized that i had really done at that point everything that i knew how to do i'd focused completely on strategy on the x's and o's and individual improvement stuff. And I completely neglected culture. Uh, And it was actually an assistant coach at the time that really said to me when we're standing there with our backs literally against the wall in a locker room, hey, coach, if we're going to have a better team, we got to work on building better teamwork. And that was something that as a leader, I had completely neglected. And so I think my passion now, David, is in helping leaders to see that as important as strategy is, strategy is what you want to do culture will always determine how well you and your people actually implement that strategy. And so uh, strategy without culture is always going to fail. And so my job has been to hopefully giving tools and insights and ideas to leaders and their teams so they can actually implement and sustain winning cultures that allows that strategy to succeed.
1: It's uh, so important and a couple things that come up for me as you're talking there so one is didn't know didn't realize that we share that in common that my I started my career teaching high school I don't know that you knew that about me but so we share that in common also shared common those those early mistakes and you know as as we're talking about being coachable I got some coaching you got it from one of your assistants you said hey we need to work on uh, on culture here for me <laughs> the coaching came from some of my students uh, I was maybe four or five weeks into my very first teaching assignment, which was a tough assignment. I, in hindsight, now I recognize it was not easy. But I got frustrated one day, and I didn't. I didn't yell or lose my temper, but I did lose control of the environment in the class. And some of the students that cared about their performance came up afterwards and said, "Mr. Di, what are you doing?" Like they called me out. It was fantastic. They said, "You." you are the leader of this class. You're responsible for this class. You can't just teach the ones that want to learn. You got to teach all of us. And, you know, I was, gosh, 23, 24, I was young. Right. And what a powerful lesson, right? Oh, so powerful to get coached that way. But man, those, those things, we just never forget them, do we? And,
0: and, and what an incredible boldness and 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 confidence and, and sense of awareness by your students to not just think that, but to come out and to share in the moment, and to give you that catalyst moment that has propelled you. I'm sure not just be an incredible teacher, but to be a teacher outside of the classroom and and the organizations that you work with now.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely! It was an incredible leadership lesson for a, a young man. <laughs> absolutely, and you're absolutely right. So grateful for that boldness that they had that confidence to speak up. You know. Um, as you were talking about culture and strategy, I just yesterday was uh, listening to uh, some data that came out, uh, you know, interview of thousands of CEOs around the world. So global global C- CEOs, COOs, C- uh, CHROs, talking about the development needs, their biggest concerns for the, the next three to five years coming up in their own talent pool. And they said, when it comes to leadership development, their lowest priority, the thing they feel they have handled the best is the results focus, their leader's ability to drive results, low urgency, no need to get better at that, like across the board. And of course, where all the focus was, was on everything else, the things that you're talking about. So... You know, everyone listening, if if you're nodding your head as Sean is talking, we're in the right place. And this is the need of the day, uh, this development, this focus on culture to focus on the people side of what we're doing. All right. So Sean, in order to get there, we got to stay coachable. There's no way to do this without being coachable. But I want to define terms here before we go any further into the book and talk about uh, all the good that you've got for us there. What do you mean by coachable when we're talking about that as a concept?
0: I am so glad that you asked. And, and, you know, terms that sometimes people use, I think that there are, you know, sometimes misunderstandings about what that term might mean. Something as simple as culture. Culture is nothing more than the repeated behaviors that are allowed to occur on your team and I think that coachable is something that people may have a vague idea of and the way I've defined it years ago with my athletes and now with organizations and their leaders is to be coachable means you want to be better and you're willing to change and what's always interesting is a hundred percent of the people that you're going to survey or ask raise your hand if you want to be better absolutely everyone wants to be better Every player I ever coached, every student I ever taught, every organization I want to work with, every teammate that they have as a coworker, they want to be better. The question is, are you willing to change? Because a lot of people want to be better doing things that they're already doing. And if they were already going to be successful doing that, then they wouldn't necessarily need somebody to come in and share the advice or the wisdom or the new insight or new tool and I think that that willingness to change is really where uh, the magic happens.
1: You know, as you're, you're talking about, so coachable, I wanna be better and I'm willing to change. I'm willing to do the work, to right. do something differently. You know, it is, you're an author, obviously we've written a number of books and so people ask about writing a book all the time or say, you know, oh, I've got a book in me. And, and I love to encourage people to write. But for every hundred people that come to me with that desire, like, I want to write, I want to, can you help me? Maybe one, maybe two will do the work
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and follow up and actually take action and do it. So if being coachable is, it's not just wanting to be better, it's willing to do the work. What's getting in the way?
0: Uh, As a young coach, it was me. And, uh, and I think that my players wanted to be better. And I always, you know, think about one specific player. His name was Brandon and Brandon was a really talented athlete who had a broken shot. So you could play Brandon for rebounding and for defense, but Brandon who wanted to shoot was not a very good shooter and he was not willing to change his shot, which was pretty ugly in terms of the form. And, I would demand and try and control and command, and here's what you need to do. And, and I was far more of a demanding telling coach. And I think that that created in Brandon some resent. And then I saw that same type of behavior where people were annoyed with me trying to share information and advice and ideas, not just in basketball, but you saw it in more recent years with organizations and their leaders about people being far more annoyed with improvement opportunities and advice and leadership development programs instead of appreciative and applying. And so what I realized far later in my coaching career than I'd like to admit is that that whole command and control, the idea of demanding and and trying to, to strong arm somebody into a change is always gonna meet with resistance. But if I did a better job of not just connecting with the person, but with asking quality questions that led them to an awareness and a desire to change, then they were far more not just willing, but they were enthusiastic when the information was available once they started to desire it. And so the entirety of the book is, is as you know, it's a story. And in the midst of that parable, it shares the content of these four powerful questions that anyone can ask. And whether it's basketball or business, whether it's writing a book or whether it's implementing a new online uh, platform or whatever it is that you and your organization might need to change, it's this process of questioning, I think, that is unbelievably effective in allowing people to not just navigate the change, but to continually grow and improve using that same process.
1: So one of the things that that you're drawing out there that I think is really important for everyone listening here is: so you're a leader and you're thinking about helping your team or an individual team member to improve, assuming they wanna be better and assuming they're willing to do the work and and, uh, so on, is that you can actually help influence that willingness by the way that you're approaching the relationship, if I'm hearing you correctly.
0: Absolutely. And and as I said, I think that when you have your one-on-one conversations with those people on your team, everybody's going to want to be better. And if there is something that that you're looking to manage in terms of a change management of new software or new processors or whatever that might be for individual improvement for that individual on your team, maybe it's the person in the mirror when you wake up in the morning. I think we all want to be better, but that second part is difficult, getting people to be willing to change. And, And I think what allows us to not just be willing, but enthusiastic about change is to ask ourselves those four questions. Uh, And I'll share in in my events, Dave, you know, that this process and a lot of the information that I'll share in any of my programs is a whole lot like deodorant. Everybody everybody believes the person next to them needs it more than they do, because the information that you share, that's great for Tom or that's great for Susie, but it's intended for the person in the mirror. And if the person in the mirror will implement it, then Tom and Susie are often going to emulate that type of commitment. And so if we as leaders will follow these four questions and answer them for ourselves, I think a lot of times it is far easier for us to be effective in getting our teams to implement them as well.
1: Absolutely. Boy, you know, you, uh, you're teasing these questions really well, Sean, and I promise (laughs) everyone we're going to get to them, but we're going to make you wait just a little bit longer before we do, because uh, well, first I love deodorant syndrome. So I I've, I've, i created the name Sasserant syndrome for, I think the same thing. So-and-so really needs this. Right. And we, <laughs> we, we want to, I like deodorant syndrome though. Right. Well, they need it. I'm good. Right. And you know, we always, and then we lose the opportunity to apply it to ourselves. So yes, as we're thinking about helping coach our team, absolutely. But where we're going to spend the rest of our time is on what you just said. How do I, as a leader, be coachable? How do I stay coachable? How do I get the most out of my own development and all the opportunities and where I want to grow and improve? And so that's where we're going. So part of the way that I want to do this though, is you just mentioned for everybody, this is a story. The book is written in a story format. It's engaging. It's well done. And I will tell you as both a nonfiction and a fiction author, it's not easy to write a good story. And this is a good one. You're going to enjoy this. It's engaging. It, it The characters are relatable. Uh, there's a parallel structure, but here's the thing. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to give away the details. So I'm going to pull out some things, but I want you to go and read this. And I would even recommend once you've done it, then get it together with your team, take them on the journey with you, get everybody a copy and and ask these questions together. And I think you'll get that, pa- that powerful, positive, profitable culture that Sean was mentioning earlier. Okay. So all that to start with, one of the things you say in the book there, Sean, is you don't have to be bad to get better. And I think that that's a really important point as we're starting this journey. Can you elaborate on that for us?
0: Absolutely. and, And I think that that's one of the things that you know, part of any great culture is not going to be an annual review. It's going to be hopefully that biweekly or monthly conversation at the very latest where you're having that connection with your people and you're checking in and letting them know that you're there as a resource and you're asking them what they're working on and what are those challenges and you're asking about their family and what are they doing. But I think that part of that is then allowing your people to know that my job as a leader is to support your growth and development. My job is to serve you as you continue to grow and be better in your role. So we together are better as well. And I think that uh, if you approach those one-on-one conversations and growing your team in that fashion, then ultimately people are far more willing to allow you to encourage them with opportunities for growth, but not every leader and not every team feels that way. And I think that uh, certainly that idea of giving people permission to improve and to let them know that It's not something that says you're bad. If I want you to be better, you can be great and look to continue to grow better. And obviously there's that old, you know, old saying that uh, good is the enemy of better. You know, that if if you think that you're good, good enough seldom is. And, uh, and I don't want to be good. I don't want to be great. I want to be continually better. Better is what we're looking for.
1: That we're always growing, you know, and so I just think that's so important because, and I know I have, I have suffered from this, it has limited my own growth from time to time where uh, thinking of improvement and, or being confronted with the opportunity to improve felt like I was being told something was wrong or bad. And that's really, it, it might have been the case, but it's not necessarily the case. And so for myself or, or you know, for a listener listening right now, as you're talking about improving, doesn't mean you're bad. doesn't mean anything's wrong. It means there's an opportunity and where do you want to be growing?
0: And, and, you know, I'll often use obviously analogies that are based upon my experience with coaching basketball. With basketball, there's always another level. If I was coaching middle school, there's high school. If I'm coaching high school, there's college. If I'm coaching college, there's going to be pro. If I'm coaching pro, there's different levels of success and skill and profitability there. And so the idea of wanting to acknowledge, yes, I'm good, but I want to continue to aim for better is a really powerful uh, mindset. And and when you don't have that mindset, when you settle for complacency, when you allow yourself to stagnate, I think that becomes frustrating when you look in the mirror and you know that you've not moved forward in some part of your life. So uh, hopefully that's something that people identify with. And they're always looking to find that next mountain to climb or to get a little bit better at getting higher up the mountain that they're presently on.
1: Absolutely. and so just tying a bow on this notion of of growth and improvement in coaching and where it sits is the fact that you look at any high performance athlete, the people who are at the top of their game, the majority, I would say, of all of the CEOs that I know, um, obviously work with quite a few, but I can't say for a hundred percent certainty that it's everyone, but the vast majority have a coach, have a, Uh, a mastermind have a, a group of people who are helping them and it can look at them more objectively than they can look at themselves and see how they can be working on things. And so, and there's nothing wrong. All of those folks are doing really well at whatever they're doing. Right.
0: Oh well, and and you know, there's a very famous Bill Gates TED talk where he talks about everybody needs a coach. That he actually has a coach for his bridge game in order to continue to get better, and and I think that that's fantastic. But one of the things that I shared in a recent you know blog article is, you know, it's not just about having a coach because you've worked with people after you've taken on an organization, you're working with the leaders and coaching. And I've had the same experience with a few people that I've had the honor of taking on as coaching clients. But not every coaching client is coachable. And just because you have a coach doesn't mean that you're going to appreciate and apply those ideas or really take to heart some of the questions and hard answers that need to be looked at. And, And I think that once the student is ready, it's not that the teacher appears. I think when the student is ready, they realize the teacher was available the entire time. They just hadn't been aware of it.
1: Yeah, we're looking for it. So when when we're talking about staying coachable, one of the, the things that you talk about in the book is that there are four ceilings that, that self-limit our growth. Uh, and so, you know, as I'm for our listeners, I'm, I'm a leader. I'm listening to this. I'm like, yeah, I, I want to be a better leader. I want to improve. I, I want to be coachable. What are the things I need to be paying attention to that can get in my way?
0: Yeah, well, I think that those four different ceilings – obviously correspond to the four questions that are shared later in the book, because if you'll address the question, then you're going to bust through that ceiling. And I think that the first ceiling is definitely that idea of complacency, of good enough, of I've not necessarily identified something more that I want. And and I think that we all, at some point in our careers, we get comfortable. We want to sit on the mountaintop of something that we've accomplished instead of realizing that you're not supposed to live on the mountaintop, that the mountaintop is a place where hopefully you can survey the land and find that next mountain and enjoy the moment. But then I want to continue to climb. I want to continue to grow because it's what I become as that new kind of mountain climber It's what I become while I'm climbing that makes me better and inspires my team.
1: And now you're talking my language that is exactly the problem with hiking up mountains i love hiking up the the foot mountains in colorado <laughs> right. and and you get to the top of one of those and you look around and it's such a feeling of accomplishment and you're like yes i did this and i mean you're not practically down the mountain back to the car before it's opened up the vista the panorama of oh look at all these other mountains i could get up <laughs> But Absolutely. I think that's what
0: makes us exciting. And I think that the highest performers on your team, and I think that the most effective leaders in your organization have that mindset of, I don't want to be complacent. I'm committed to continuing to grow myself so I can grow others and to find those new mountains so we can continue to be better for the team that we're on.
1: You know, for, if someone is, is listening to this and, and, and again, I have been here um, and particularly, you know, we're still, you know, still dealing with the pandemic and who knows how long that's going to go on and all the different wrinkles and everything else. And, um, you know, so there's like the fatigue factor in, you know, with folks and it expresses itself in all different kinds of ways. One of the challenges that comes up for me is when we're talking about kind of continual improvement and constant growth and so forth, sometimes and I'm a growth and an achievement-oriented person, but sometimes I just get exhausted even thinking about it, like enough already. As a coach, I imagine you've got some perspective on that, uh, on if someone, if, if leaders listening right now finding themselves like, I hear you guys, but God, can I just have a minute?
0: As a young coach, going back to your very first question, David, as a young coach, it must've been a miserable experience to play for me. Because my mindset as a leader at that time is I'm probably, what, 22 or 23 years old in my freshman team that I'm there. I'm going to, you know, destroy the world as a coach and we're going to be so unbelievably successful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And I was such a driver that we were going to celebrate at the banquet. We can celebrate in February but it's October and we're here to work and it's November and we're not good enough yet. And it's December and we only won by six and we can be better than that, et cetera. And so that idea of leaders and their teams and the fatigue that comes from extended effort. I think absolutely there is a need on any team to rest and to reflect and to appreciate. And I think that the number one thing that leaders can do to inspire future efforts is to appreciate and let people feel seen for their previous efforts, and if you can take a moment and celebrate, and we can do those in meetings, in the weekly meetings, you know, what are you doing to connect your people to each other? What are you doing to celebrate the things that you want your team to focus on and feel some sense of progress towards that shared, compelling, common goal? And I think that those are the things that re-energize and refuel people. Is not just that that moment of rest but it's that feeling of appreciation and acknowledgement for what we've accomplished that gives us the fuel to continue to climb.
1: Absolutely. And that's beautifully said. And as you're saying that what's coming up for me is that hundred percent. Yes, please. You're listening. Do that for your teams and do it for yourself. How can you do it for yourself? Because as a leader, you need it too. And the thing about being a leader is you're taking responsibility for yourself and for the team. So you may not be getting it other places, but you still need it.
0: And, and I think that sometimes that's, I'm so glad you bring this up, David, because I am probably very much guilty of, and in the book, that's one of the the, the conflicts is complacency versus commitment. Are you committed to a climb? Or are you going to be complacent and stagnating on some plateau? And it's not complacent to acknowledge and appreciate the progress that we've made, and to camp for a moment. You just want to continue to climb after you've camped and appreciated and celebrated and connected and done those things that allow your people to refuel for that next plateau, for that next climb, for that next summit.
1: It's uh, what's coming up for me as we're talking about this is uh, in the Jason Bourne in the in the uh, the the books, the novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the refrains that he's gotten his head as he's going through all the adventures he's you know trying to recover his identity one of the snatches of memory he has is sleep is a weapon and so for him as you know somebody who's having to fight the world and and all of that the need to recover and rest and sleep is part of that growth and journey and so not to lose sight of that as we're, as we're going on this, this journey, I call attention to that because I just know there is a lot of that out there right now. And and as someone who is prone to just keep pushing, 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 and has to tell myself, Hey, listen, buddy,
0: <laughs> there, take there a minute. Powerful caveat, because absolutely. I think there's so many teams and so many leaders that, as you said, that are, are dealing with some of that sense of fatigue. And what can we do to make sure that our team feels appreciated and does have that moment to take a deep breath and to acknowledge the progress and to appreciate what they have accomplished and to feel that they have been seen for all that they've been asked to do over the last 18 months, as we do continue to still, Hey, let's continue to be proud of what we're chasing.
1: Absolutely. All right. We've teased them. It's time to start getting into some of these questions. And the first one, well, how am I going to say this? There's a sage character in the book who I I don't want to identify more than that, but I love your sage character. Uh, They're awesome. And they ask one of the other characters this question, which is not one of the four directly, but they say, who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? And it's such a loaded question and they don't let the person answer. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's fun the way that you set that up. What is that question all about? When you know, Who are you trying to impress? Uh, I, it resonated and it stopped me in my tracks. It made me think of some of my crazy leadership moments where I was trying to impress the wrong people or over, trying to overly impress or all kinds of, of crazy things. So it was a great question.
0: I'm so glad that it resonated with you because that's one that I have literally asked for the last 25 years or so. And, and, uh, and it started in classrooms because You having been a teacher, you know, me with whether it's ninth grade English or whether it was AP classes or senior Brit Lit or whatever that was that I was teaching, you would always have that student that you knew was charismatic and capable and clever, but they were only worried about five seconds later in their life when they got to make the knucklehead next to them laugh and they weren't recognizing that, hey, what we're doing here is going to have some hopeful, positive impact on your life and want to make sure that we're looking down the line instead of just beside you, because the person beside you is probably not the person you really need to most impress. And, um, and I thought that that was something that was relevant and applicable to those students. And it certainly was to my athletes. But as you begin to, to, to think about the quality of questions that leaders ask determines the quality of the efforts they get from their team. And when you talk to your team about who is it you're trying to impress, you know, I remember as a young teacher, I'm wanting to impress my principal. Well, there are some principles that if you've got a really nice decoration in your classroom, you must be a good teacher. There are other principles that in administrators, they're going to judge you. And so you're going to perform based upon how you believe that you're going to um, be judged. And so who is it you're trying to impress is a powerful question, because as a leader or as a teammate, hopefully it's something beyond just the immediate hopefully it's something a little bit larger and i think that that's what the character in the uh, in the story is going for is you know look beyond just what's right in front of you and think about something bigger that is really going to be that that motivating mission that will carry you through some of the adversity that you're sure to meet
1: mm. Nice. So it's, it's always like, who are you playing for when, when you're, you know, are you playing at some level? Are you playing the game, whatever the work you're doing is? Are you playing that game for yourself, for your own pride, for your own commitment to excellence, to serving your people, to the mission that you're working on? All of those kinds of things. Some of the things that came up for me, as opposed to there was a time where I had just been promoted to a, a more senior role and I wanted to prove I wanted to impress everybody in the room and I wanted to prove that they made a good choice. That didn't go so well. (laughs) Yeah. And and
0: sometimes we work really hard to impress the wrong people the wrong way. And I think that that ends up uh, kind of ensnaring us. And, uh, and I think that that's when we get caught up in our own egos instead of being far more focused upon, you know, serving and being a small part of something more significant than ourselves.
1: Absolutely. All right, Sean, it's time. Let's go take us through the four questions. These are powerful questions. Uh, I'm going to just let you roll with them and we, we might go some different places. Well, oh, sorry. I got yeah. so excited. I'm banging my microphone here.
0: <laughs> and feel free to, to interject and to ask a question as we go. But, uh, you know, this is something that I actually, as you might imagine, I'm really passionate about because I think that when we as leaders and, and individuals, when we shift from telling to asking, we become better. You know, it's the questions you ask yourself to help yourself to improve. It's the questions you ask your team to help them to improve because then it's not me making them do something. Then it's them enrolling themselves into the thing that they're going to really be committed to if it's their idea and their purpose. And uh, and that was a mistake that I made as a young leader and a mistake that I think that a number of young leaders make regardless of industry is telling rather than asking and letting those questions lead yourself and your team down a path of change and of awareness. Um, and so the very first question uh, that is asked of the father and son who are on this trip uh, and get back and they end up you know, kind of being part of you know, this, uh, this journey of what does it mean to stay coachable? The first question is asked of them is what specifically do you want? You know, what is that goal? What is that summit that you're trying to reach? What does success look like for you? And, uh, and and it seems like a simple question. I think that the most powerful questions sometimes seem simple until you take the time to sit with them. But one of the things I found as a basketball coach and one of the things I've found in working with business leaders and teams is that that's something that sometimes gets glossed over and not necessarily clarified to the point that it becomes a commitment. What is it that we're really truly, what is that mission? What is that daily purpose? What is that that compelling common goal that we're seeking to achieve together? Uh, and once you identify this is what I want individually or this is what we want as a team and, and it's something that is real and you have that in your mind, then the next question ends up creating a gap. And that leads us to the second question, which was one that I think a lot of leaders and teammates struggle with. Because I think the easiest question sometimes, David, is that first, what do you want? And if you're truly honest about what it is we're here to accomplish, if you're truly honest about committing to, here's our goal, this is what I care about achieving. The second question is gonna humble you. And that is, where are you now? And, and can you be honest about your numbers. Because when you're asked to look at numbers, numbers can't give excuses and here's what happened and let me explain, et cetera. And whether that is a shooting percentage or the number of turnovers that you had, or whether that is a sales percentage or the number of clients that you've spoken to, or you numbers aren't going to lie and the numbers that you pay attention to are going to determine the results ultimately that you get. And I think that sometimes it's easy for us to put on a filter and to convince ourselves that we're okay based upon where we see ourselves until we really look at ourselves honestly and seeing ourselves in a clear mirror. That's something that, uh, you know, the best thing about playing really good competition when I was a basketball coach is I used to love playing the best, and you always knew who the best two or three teams were that you were going to compete against that season. And I loved playing those teams early in the year because it gave us a clear mirror. We always knew exactly where the weaknesses were, and more importantly, the kids could then see on film what we needed to do differently and better. And that gave us an opportunity to, if we really want to get here, if we truly have this sincere desire and this sincere hunger of this is what we want, then we got to be honest and admit that in some areas we're right here and we need to do something to close the gap. And I think that as an organization and as an individual leader or teammate, once you've identified the answers to those two questions, what do I really want and where am I at now? It's the distance between those two answers that creates a willingness to consider the third question.
1: And so just pausing there on that on those first two, because I'm thinking of some other guests we've had on recently who, you know, have talked about a number of different subjects. But let's take uh, the let's say a, a candid culture that's really. Engaging in con- conversation and dialogue with one another. Let's take uh, your DEI initiatives and and your equity and inclusion and how that's actually happening. And I remember a uh, guest, I think, just the last episode, talking about: Listen, go get the data. It's not hard. Every HR person right now can pull your data and tell you the the pay equity between genders in your organization. Mm-hmm. Give them an hour and they'll have it. I don't care what size your organization is, right? There are so many different aspects of leadership and every value that we're coming to the table with as a leader. So we've got our business results we're trying to do, but then we've got the way we're trying to do it and we can assess all of it. And the point that you made that I think is so important is it's not about our intent. It's good to have the intent, right? but- There is that danger that we all have as human beings that we want to judge ourselves by our intent as opposed to by what's actually happening. All right. So we're going to get clear about where it is we're trying to go and where we are now. And I think that that question of hunger, of
0: what is it that I'm trying to accomplish, what do I really want? And then the second question of where are you now and can you be honest about your numbers and your performance and what you're actually trying to achieve uh, and who you are trying to impress. Once you identify the gap between those, I think it's only at that moment that any individual would be willing to ask and answer the third question, which is who or what do you need to appreciate more? And Maybe it is that person that is there and available to give you the advice or give you the tools or to give you the training that's going to help you to close that gap. But if there's no gap, there's no need for me to be humble. If there's no gap, then I can be complacent. But once you identify the gap, once you identify that there is that honest, significant difference between what we're wanting and where we are, then recognizing that it's up to the person in the mirror to then look for What is that thing that I need to change? How can I improve myself? How can I improve our processes? How can I improve whatever that might be that's going to help to close the gap? That leads to the individual humility that allows people to appreciate instead of be annoyed by those change uh, initiatives that sometimes they're presented
1: with. Have we got to question four yet?
0: Have not. That would be question three. And so if we go from hunger to honesty to then humility, and I'll be honest, David, I think for a number of leaders and myself at the top of that list, it was that third question that was always most difficult for me because I did Mm -hmm. not start off as a humble leader. And I thought oftentimes, especially when we're trying to prove ourselves, we wanna let people know how much we know when we can never know everything.
1: Well, on, on, that, on that note, one of the things that you say in the, in the book, and I think, so when we're talking about like what weaknesses or needs or opportunities, whatever nice words we use to talk about it, it comes down to the humility to, to be really honest about those things for ourselves. But part of that is getting into a growth mindset that we're not just fixed with what we have, that we can grow and change. And, and you talk about the view of failure, Um, and, and when things don't go the way we would like, or we recognize there is that gap that, how are we looking at failure? And you you talk about how, is it feedback or is it something to suffer from? So maybe unpack that for us a little bit as we're on this topic of humility and and looking at these things.
0: Well, and I think that. Specifically, you know, we're going to give feedback in those one-on-one conversations, and we're talking about what are the results that we're producing and how can we help to improve those so you have better experiences and our clients have better experiences. And if you're truly honest about those numbers that you're going to be measuring and, and, and you know, taking an, uh, a look at, then that's going to provide some opportunities for feedback. The issue is not everybody sees feedback as a gift. And I've I've tried to share with whether it's athletes or individuals as teammates uh, in corporate circumstances, feedback is always a gift. Now, here's the issue. We've all got that Aunt Sarah, who we know gives us gifts we're never going to use. And maybe it's a really ugly scar or maybe it's that hideous pair of socks. But we know when Aunt Sarah gives us that present, We're still going to say, thank you. We just don't expect to use it. So you're always going to be grateful for the gift that feedback is. But if you can find somebody as a mentor, as a leader, as somebody that's going to help you to close that gap, who you know is going to provide feedback that will help to propel you further up that mountain that you're climbing, that'll help to close that gap that's important to you. That's the feedback that you don't just appreciate, but that you apply. And I think that uh, seeing feedback is an opportunity to not just accept what you because know, you're going to have people offering you feedback. Again, as a coach, I had parents and people in the hallways that would sometimes offer that feedback, but it's not always informed or educated. And it's the same way as a leader in any industry. There are going to be people that sometimes may offer you know, uh, unrequested advice. But some of that may be valuable. Some of that may be something that you do need to consider. And so to accept feedback as a gift, I think is important, but it is absolutely fuel. And I think that the best thing we can do as leaders is to emulate, is to first be an example of that for our people so they could emulate that because there's a huge difference in performance between somebody who is annoyed by feedback and somebody who is appreciative of and trying to take that valuable nugget out of the feedback that they receive.
1: All right, so you just tapped into one of the, and I love your metaphors, Sean. Let's talk about Sarah's ugly sweater. Okay? <laughs> Aunt Sarah, Aunt Sarah gave us this ugly sweater of feedback. Uh, because one of the questions that that I know people are going to be listening to, yeah, I want to be coachable, but my goodness, I get sometimes some of the advice I'm getting or the coaching and put that in quotes I'm getting, I think it's just wrong. So how do I discern when some of that feedback or coaching that I might be receiving, how, how do I discern when it's useful and valuable and when it's okay to put it in the closet and pass it on to somebody who needs it?
0: Yeah. And I, I think that that, that's that part of humility, which is, you know, one of the quotes that I share in the book that is actually on a, a coffee mug that I've made that goes along with the story in terms of some, some of the items that help to drive down some of the messages in the book. Uh, but the quote that goes in that coffee mug is you can't pour growth into a cup that's already full of assumptions and ego. And I think sometimes our cups are already full of assumptions and ego. And if we'll empty our cups or allow others to pour into us, then sometimes we get to experience and enjoy and apply stuff that otherwise maybe we wouldn't have even considered. Uh, And I think that the way that we go about, as you said, the, determining what is that valuable feedback versus what is Aunt Sarah's ugly scarf is who's been there and done that? Who have we identified as somebody that would be a valuable? And it may not be the leader in your organization that is the next person up the ladder, But can you identify and then reach out and build a connection with someone that you know would be? We're in an age where you could literally reach out and build a connection with just about anyone that you can find, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or whatever online communication connection opportunity you want to seek. Uh, You can find people as leaders and mentors and people that can provide that advice and wisdom and encouragement for you, regardless of where you're at.
1: All right. So one of the one of the notions here is in terms of discerning is, A, let's create space for it, test it out, see if there could be something. Let's not just assume, hey, that sweater might be a little ugly, but it actually might be super warm and comfortable if we give it a chance. <laughs> right? Uh, but we don't have to own it. We don't have to just take it, we can inspect it, we can test it, see what's happening and then seek after what we need. Find the people, find the opportunities and, and get after that. And that helps not have to deal with all the rest of it. So we're talking, we've talked about hunger, we've talked about honesty, we've talked about humility and those three questions. We're gonna to go to question four in just a moment, but before we do. <laughs> another teaser. Another teaser, Sean, where do we connect with you? Where can listeners find more about you, more about the book? Tell us where to go and we'll make sure and get all these links into the show notes.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, they can find me online. You can uh, find me LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera. You Twitter, I believe it's at Lead Your Team, Instagram at Lead Your Team. Uh, LinkedIn uh, is gonna be obviously Sean Glaze, but online, my website is greatresultsteambuilding.com. Uh, and as you mentioned, I do conference keynotes and customized team building for organizations that want to create more profitable connections, not just to a compelling common goal, but more importantly to each other to build that culture that's going to allow their strategy to actually succeed. And, uh, and hopefully the books and the messages that the book share are going to be things that organizations can continue to implement so that their people enjoy better days and better results together.
1: I definitely encourage you just, and I wanted to mention that just now, since you were talking about, Hey, we live in a world where you can connect with anybody. Well, <laughs> we just got a chance to connect with Sean. So take advantage of that opportunity. That for you, David. you are making it easy on me, Sean, <laughs> get out there. You've got so many opportunities connect with Sean, get the book, ask yourself these questions, take yourself through them. Uh, and then you can do it with your team. Take them on the journey with you. All right, let's get to question four. Take us home here. What is question four?
0: So information is pretty nice. Information is wonderful. And ideas and awareness are are fantastic. However, ideas and awareness and insights, again, really bad metaphor, or a whole lot like paint. It's only what you apply that makes a difference, right? And so the idea of you know knowing what it is that you want and knowing where you're at and being humble enough to find the information is going to help to close the gap, that's all really powerful and important but nothing changes until behaviors do and so that last question is what are you going to do differently and that sounds again like an unbelievably simple question until you have to answer it because for me to do something different if i'm going to add a behavior then i need to be willing to subtract a behavior because i've only got so much time or space on my plate And I think that that's a really difficult conversation for individuals to have with themselves and for people to have with their teams is what do we need to do differently in order to really get the results that we're wanting. If we're serious about climbing this mountain, if we're serious about this is what we want, and we identified there's a gap, then we need to do something different in order to close that gap. And if that is, you know, you need to change your shooting form to do a much better job so you don't have a flying elbow, that's one thing. But if in your organization it's we need to change the platform that we're working on so it you know, is a better experience for our customers. Well, that's going to demand a lot of your team. Do they understand the reasons behind that? Because nobody's going to change habits until they've answered those first three questions. And I think that that's the process that is so important is have you walked yourself and then your people through those questions and honestly taking the time to answer them with clarity.
1: Fantastic. So those four questions, again, focus on hunger, honesty, humility, and then habits. So the four questions are, what specifically do you want? Where are you now? What weakness do you need to admit or opportunity you need to embrace What will you do differently? What are you actually going to do? And, you know, those questions challenge me. And one of the areas, Sean, that we didn't touch on yet, but I think just, let's just give it just a brief mention here at the end is for me, it's a litmus test. If you find yourself complaining, if you find yourself complaining, that is a temperature check. What is that? What, if you find yourself complaining about something as a leader, what is that telling you?
0: i tell you that you are very much complacent, that you're not willing to take the initiative or the ownership to make something change. And I think one of the things that I learned as a young leader that has propelled me to where I'm at today is when I looked in that mirror in that locker room after that loss, the end of our very first year, I realized that if anything was going to change on our team, I needed to be the person that changed first. And I think that the best leaders and the best teammates are first the ones who acknowledge when they look in the mirror that that's the person who they need to take ownership of changing. And if we'll do a better job of admitting where we want to be and acknowledging where we are and recognizing that we need to appreciate some of those things, maybe we've been annoyed by as opportunities and, and recognize that I need to take steps to close that gap and change some of my habits. Then when I get better, then I think my team necessarily improves. And then that's something that not just as an individual, but as an organization, you know, that staying coachable is going to be the key skill that you want your people to to adapt because there's going to continue to be changes that we cannot forecast. uh, They're going to be around the corner. And how are your people going to overcome those things that are difficulties and challenges? Well, they're going to need to adapt and change.
1: And it all starts with you. So have that look in the mirror, embrace the hunger, the honesty, the humility, choose those habits, and you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. Sean, thank you so much for sharing, staying coachable with us and and sharing all this wisdom. Really appreciate you being with us today.
0: My pleasure, David. I'm so thrilled to have had the opportunity to share with you and your audience. Again, looking forward to uh, following the rest of your ninth season of unbelievably high quality content. And thank you so much for having me on.
1: All right, until next time.